okay, you want to see 68 kilos on the scale. How is that going to make you feel? Is that actually going to make you happier? Is that going to make your relationship with your husband that much better? Or do you want to train for longevity to make sure you don't have any degenerative diseases in your body later on in life? Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She's a trainer and she's also the founder of KFIT and the author of the Kitchen Series. Welcome to the show, Katie Martin. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you because I guess, you know, we both will have worked with quite a few of the same people and we know, you know, sort of similar people in the industry. So this is going to be a really um, fun chat. So tell me firstly, how you got started in the whole health and fitness space, because you actually started when you were quite young, weren't you? Yes. I um, (laughs) wasn't very open about my age when I first started because I did uh, start working when I was 16. Um, how I got started, I was always a super fit and active kid. It only occurred to me as I got older that it wasn't normal for your whole family to get up and go on a run first thing in the morning, every morning <laughs> high school. And people told me that that was weird. Um, which now upon reflection, it's very weird, but it's so weird. It's so That's so weird. uncommon. <laughs> very, but it was amazing because, um, in terms of my own personal health and fitness journey, I don't think it ever really started like I never there was never a day I woke up and thought you know what today's the day I'm going to be healthy today's the day I'm going to start running today's the day I'm going to do x y and z which I'm so grateful now that my parents you know brought me up in that kind of lifestyle but in terms of actually entering the industry as a professional I went to a school that fortunately offered my cert three and four in fitness as a subject that I could do um, through my senior year so year 11 and 12 as well as finishing of what the time we called an OP, which is, I think, similar to a, actually, I don't even know what they call it down in the South. VCE, maybe? Yeah, VCE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Same. And we're actually now on that system as well. But when I was at school, it was still OP or overall position. And I was able to get that, which is what you would use to get into university. And I could also do my Cert 3 and 4 in fitness at the same time. And because the school I was at offered, um, there were so many kids wanting to do that course, they actually got a teacher in to qualify us just as if you would go to maths or English rather than having to take a day off and go to TAFE and then have spares and have to catch up. I did it just as if I was doing English and maths. And um, I was very fortunate. I had an amazing teacher and he was super, super supportive and I did it kind of as a, oh, yeah, this might be fun to go to the gym during school. And then it turned into, I actually really, really love this. And um, as well as the course, we had the opportunity to do work experience with um, wherever we wanted to at the end of each semester, three years, 11 and 12. And I did that with um, the trainer that I still see now. Um, his name's Joey Agresta. I'm here in science and fitness. And I did my work experience through him. And it kind of clicked to me one day that I just absolutely love talking to people and helping people. And that kind of kicked it off. And so halfway through grade 12, I was a qualified trainer, which was wild, but I thought I was, you know, 16 going on 35. And <laughs> I actually, where it all kind of 
came together, I started going to this gym. It was a females-only dance-inspired Pilates-based gym and it was class-based. And I was just going there and I was actually really um, an avid dancer and I wanted to pursue that after school. And I was going there because it was really good at supporting my dancing and I was talking to the owner one day and she said to me, oh, you know, what are you studying at university? And I said, oh, I'm actually still at school. Um, I want to be a dancer, but I'm a qualified PT. I'm kind of interested in nutrition. I don't really know. I think I have options. And she just turned to me and they'd just opened. And she said, do you want a job? And without thinking twice, I was like, oh, yes, of course. This is amazing. I can get paid for doing what I'm already doing. And within a matter of, I think, a month, I had a full client base and was teaching before and after school. And I remember she still said to me, I have one rule for you. You are not to turn up in your school uniform because no one here thinks that you're under 22. And I was, I'd just turned 17 and I was like, yep, I, I can do that. So I would go to, wow. I would go to work from 5am and have clients from five till 8am. And then I go to school from nine till three. And then I would get changed in my car before I pulled around the corner and I'd park and I'd get back out in my tights and work from four till seven. And that was the start of me entering the fitness industry. Oh my goodness. That is so crazy that you were so young when all of that happened as well. Um, which is so cool to hear. I think it's a really unique story. I don't, I don't feel like I've spoken to many trainers that have started that young and, and kind of had a full client roster as well, sort of straight off the bat. Yeah, it was, it was, I was very fortunate to work in the job. Like it all kind of was just sliding doors that all happened at the right time. And looking back on it, I learned so much from the business side of it as well, being involved in such in a business that had just opened their doors. And although it's completely opposite to what I do now, um, I did learn so much from the business side that you just don't get that kind of exposure to when you do your course, those real life skills I learned through that job opportunity, which was just amazing. So I'm very, very fortunate and will forever fondly think about that experience, no matter how sleep deprived I was. (laughs) That's amazing. I was just going to say with that schedule as well, working so early before school and also after school, I mean, I also feel like that's probably not quite the norm either. Is that something, that kind of hard work um, and approach to your work, is that something that's always been something within you? Or do you think that that's something that you learnt from getting into this industry? I think I think a bit of both. I learned that, you know, to be successful in this industry, you have to like the unsociable hours. Um, if you think as a trainer you're going to come in and be able to work from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m., you're kidding yourself because the people that we train are at work during those hours. So the industry as a whole, you have to be used to those hours. But I do think, yeah, I... I look back on it now and I think that schedule was just absolutely crazy, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I think a lot of that hard work and being able to get up early and pull those long days was definitely something that I just love, but it's a bit of both. Like you, if you want to be in that industry, you have to like those hours, but I just loved it. I was so, so passionate about helping people. And I think because I was so young and so naive, so naive that I was like, yeah, this is great. This is amazing. Um, oh, and then, yeah, you get a bit older and you're like, wow, that was a bit nuts. But <laughs> we're still here. That's good. Ignorance is bliss sometimes, right? Yes. Like when you don't really know and you're like, well, I've just... Um, Now you've just established a really amazing work ethic, which is really great. Now, one of the other things I think I saw was that you started your, I think KFIT started 
also as your own group sessions, right? Before it became an active web brand. But this this happened really, again, you were really young, maybe like 18. So I'm curious to know what gave you the courage and the confidence to sort of branch out and sort of start your own thing at such a young age? I think we can come back to ignorance is bliss. I think I was <laughs> very, very naive, but in the best way possible. I um, A few things I think went into that. I had a very, very close friend who started off as a client and now is still one of my closest friends. And she turned to me one day and said, you need to go do this on your own. You need to back yourself and do it. And Look, I believe that I was a good trainer and I believe that I could help people, but I, it didn't really cross my mind when I was 17, just about to be 18, that I this is something I was really going to pursue. It, like I said, it all kind of just came back quite quickly without me really thinking about it too much. And I turned to her and I said, really, if, if I went and did this on my own, you would you would come train with me? And she said, yes. She said, I just adore you. So that was... I think having that one person that maybe isn't particularly in, sorry, specifically a family member or someone that's emotionally invested with you to just say, yes, like this, you're very good, um, kind of gave me the confidence. But I also remember sitting there and thinking, if I don't give this a shot now, when will you? You know, either completely and utterly back yourself, you have no risk, you don't have a family, you don't have kids, you're still living at home really what do you have to lose? And you can either sit here and keep building someone else's dream, which was amazing. Or you can leave and go do it yourself and see what happens. Yeah. And I kind of yeah. thought, why not? Honestly, it was just a bit of a why not moment. So yeah, it started off as group sessions in the park. And I sat there, I remember getting on my calculator on my phone and thinking, if I do this many sessions a week and this many people show up and they pay this much, oh my gosh, look how much you know money I could make off this and um, big reality check. It rains a lot in Queensland. It gets cold. <laughs> People don't want to show up. So there was a lot of hiccups with that. But um, that's kind of how I first made that leap from working from someone else to giving it a red hot crack myself. Yeah, starting your own business, which is really cool. Um, now, I'm really interested because you've obviously worked with a lot of people over the time that you've worked in this space. So what have you noticed have been the biggest or most common problems that women or clients that you've seen really face with their training and their nutrition? I think the biggest issue that I'm chatting to my clients the most about at the moment or over the years is crazy, crazy diet culture and trends on social media and influences that are shedding light on topics that they're potentially not completely educated across. Um, and whether or not we think, oh, no, we don't listen to them, we only listen to the professionals, we do. We subconsciously take in that random girl you saw on your feed eat half a banana, not a whole banana in a smoothie. And over time, people develop these rules and complexes and issues or things that taint the way that they go about living a healthy lifestyle um, through unreliable sources and, yeah, what we now call as diet culture. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so prevalent and I think mm. that's a really good point to make too is that we pick up these messages unconsciously. It's not something mm. that perhaps we even realise we are consuming, but we are consuming so much more social media and information than ever before. So that's really fascinating. And do you find that this is affecting their relationship with their bodies and with food and mm. what's the effect and impact 
that it is having on on people that you've noticed? Oh, 100%. It is crazy. And I think when people think of diet culture and people that are self-conscious or body aware, they think of young, impressionable high school girls. And yes, that is correct. But I would say the early 30s, that that group, potentially if they've just had children, they might be losing or in a place where they're trying to lose weight, where they've never been a person that's had to lose weight in their life. Um, I'd say that's the most alarming demographic is that early 30s. Um, you know, things start to change, your hormones are changing, you're in a different stage of your life. And it's, for me, I sit there and try and really educate them with all the knowledge I have and talk about the longevity of exercise and living a healthy lifestyle over chasing a certain dress size or a measurement or a number on the scales. And sitting there and having those really brutal conversations, saying to them, okay, you want to see... 68 kilos on the scale how is that going to make you feel is that actually going to make you happier is that going to make your relationship with your husband that much better or do you want to train for longevity to make sure you don't have any degenerative diseases in your body later on in life um you're not trying to sort out all these health issues that we're seeing in that older demographic and really shifting their mindset on it and you doing that through education because I'm a big believer the more you know the more you know. And it's harder to ignore the facts. It's harder to fall short to diet culture and get, you know, sucked in by all those little weird trends and fads that some people are really pushing out there. Yeah. I think it's really important because I think the piece about your relationship with your body and food is is separate to the actual even there's different ways to go about it. But like mm-hmm. you said, if you kind of look at it as more of a long-term lifestyle rather than a kind of quick fix, yeah. then you can incorporate it into your, your life as and it becomes normal. Like you were saying that you, your family would just get up and go yeah. for a run and that's just normal to you. So kind of continuing to build those kinds of habits is I think really important. It's, it's interesting, I think, motivation is something that comes up a lot and I'm sure you probably get asked this a lot but for someone who is listening right now who is struggling with motivation to train or you know to kind of clean up their nutrition what is your best advice for them because uh, even you know we're down in Melbourne and it's really cold so I definitely know that that's one of the things that starts to hit when the cooler months come around where people start to struggle a little bit with actually getting up and going to the gym and going to train. So what would be your best advice for that? I would say if you're someone that's, yeah, really in and out of routine, start small. I think a lot of people say to themselves on a Sunday night, okay, tomorrow's Monday. Tomorrow I'm going for a run and then I'm going to go to the gym and then I'm going to the grocery store and I'm going to buy X, Y, and Z. I'm going to meal prep and I'm going to do da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they're either all in or all out which is just not realistic for anyone's lifestyle at all. I don't care if you have all the time in the world or you're on a very tight schedule, being all in or all out creates this huge disconnect between you and being healthy. And they're seen as two separate things rather than I'm just a healthy person that lives a really balanced lifestyle. So starting small, if that means tomorrow you get up and you go for a 30 minute walk and that's all you do that contributes towards your goals, amazing. You're one 30 minute walk ahead of where you would have been if you didn't do that. And then the next day you might incorporate 
an extra two glasses of water and a handful of vegetables. And you keep building and building on that kind of almost like a snowball effect and building. So then when you look back at a few months time, you think, wow, I actually incorporated all these new daily habits that led me to be healthier. But at not one point did I have to go, okay, black and white tomorrow, I am completely flipping my lifestyle on its head. And I am getting rid of every single habit I have right now and starting fresh because there's just, it's not realistic. That lasts about three days before one of your kids gets sick or something happens at work and then everything's, you know, you throw your hands up and it's all over and then I'm back to binging or I'm back to being unhealthy. So there's that step is just starting small and building on it. And then in terms of actual exercise, and like you said, in the colder months, it's harder to get out of bed. 100%, there's no doubt about it. Find something that genuinely makes you happy. Again, stop being sucked into what you see on social media or that girl's lifting heavy weights or she's doing Pilates or she's doing a 10K run every day. Find what genuinely makes you happy. Everyone is different. Everyone is going to like different exercise. Everyone's bodies are going to respond to different exercise. So for you, if that means that you're just walking really consistently, phenomenal. If that means you're at the gym doing absolutely no cardio and just lifting weights, even better. If you're doing Pilates, swimming, a group fitness class, whatever it is that makes you happy, double down on that and be consistent with that. There's no point trying to do something just so you can tell people that you did it. Because again, that'll last a week or two weeks and then you hate it and there's a huge disconnect between you and you being healthy. It becomes two different things rather than one thing. So yeah, starting small and finding what you really love and just doubling down on that and you will see consistency just all the time and motivation won't even come into it. It just becomes a part of your day. Yeah, I really love that, that they're great pieces of advice. And I think finding what you love to do is so important Mm. when you... Um, you are looking towards a, yeah, like an active activity or some sort of exercise because that's the thing that keeps you going back there is is yeah. how you feel when you're doing it and how it makes you feel after you've 100%. done it. So, and look, sometimes that changes. I go through phases where I love lifting weights and then I go through phases where I really, really love long runs or I might enjoy Pilates and that's also okay. Just because something worked for you at one part in your life or where whatever you were doing and now it's changed, that's okay. People change. You like different things. And I come around to different types of exercise all the time. So again, you might be that, you know, you need to shake things up a bit. You've been in the gym doing the same thing all the time and you're bored. Find something that lights you up again and gets you out the door in the morning. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. Like we all, we all have different things that we like to do at different stages, Mm -hmm. like you said, and it it changes depending on how you feel and where you are in your life. So that's really, really an important point, I think, to remember. Um, So one of the things I think that is a really super interesting conversation is around calories and calorie tracking. Mm -hmm. And I guess in comparison to intuitive eating and they're, you know, they're different approaches to eating, to food, to nutrition. And I'm interested to hear your perspective on this? Mm, it's a really almost taboo topic because people it is. are very sensitive <laughs> about calories. And I, look, I fully get it. I, for, so I've had, I've been in the industry for over six years now. And I would say for five of those, I never counted a single calorie. I had an understanding of fats, carbs, proteins, generally what happens within that space. But I'd never once open my fitness pal. I'd never once counted calories and I never encourage clients to do it either. I always push them to look at the quality of their food and focusing on a more whole foods based diet 
And for the most part of people focused on whole foods and exercise a bit more, they achieve their goals. I started working with a nutritionist um, mid last year and I said to her, we were talking about calories and having a very similar conversation. And I said, oh, I've, look, I've never tracked calories. I don't know if it's really that great um, for people that, you know, might get really fixated on it. And we went down that whole path. And I said, but you know what, that's probably very ignorant of me to have an opinion on something that I've never done myself. Um, so in true form, I experimented on myself and I last year counted calories for eight weeks. And I'm very much someone I'm coming back on what I said earlier, I'm all in or I'm all out. So <laughs> I, I thought to myself, if I'm going to count calories for eight weeks, I am counting every calorie. I am doing this to the T so I can really have a hundred percent clear understanding of whether or not it's for me or not. So I did it and I counted every single calorie to the exact gram. And it was actually quite eye-opening. And I would now after it encourage people the right person with the right guidance as well I don't think it's great to just jump on a random website and plug in your height and measurement because there's so many variable factors that go into it um, and a lot of those calculators aren't correct so you either end up under eating or over eating by a fair bit and it was crazy for me to see I've always eaten very well in terms of the quality but I realized how much I was under eating my carbs um, I was eating a lot more fats than I required. And I probably wasn't eating consistent amounts of protein to support my training. I also was constantly injured, constantly sick and struggling with my energy levels and always put it down to the fact that, oh, I'm a trainer. I'm up early in the morning. If anything, and I think this is a really inter most interesting point out of all my calorie counting and my experience with it, it gave me so much more food freedom. Now, I'm not someone that's like seriously battled with food by any means, but I think, you know, through subconscious intake through um, social media, I was always conscious of my carb intake and don't eat this and don't eat that. I now eat carbs with every single meal without a second thought. I fully fell in and just let myself follow these numbers for eight weeks. And I realized how much I was actually under eating and how much it was actually consuming my mind, but I wasn't that aware of it until... I started eating more and I thought, wow, I'm seriously under eating. I lost weight, which was never really the goal, but I just thought we'll see what happens. I lost weight and became a lot more educated. I eat way more carbs than I used to. I'm hard, not injured anymore and I very rarely get sick. So in saying this, it is something I would suggest to people. Like if you're completely unaware and you're always in there going, why am I not getting results and why this, why not that? Just give it a go for eight weeks, not even necessarily with the goal to lose weight or gain weight, just to literally put in your food and see what happens and see what comes up and go from there. Because it, like I said earlier, the more you know, the more you know, and it's harder to ignore those facts. Yeah, that's so fascinating that you kind of had that experience. And I think um, a lot of people that I've worked with as well, have, when they start tracking calories, because you're right, the calorie conversation can be quite triggering for some people and people who have had maybe a more sort of challenging relationship with food or calories in the past, this might not be the necessarily the best approach for them. But people who have never tracked their calories before, to just become aware of yeah what they're actually consuming. And that's what we're talking about, just the awareness around the what foods you're eating or the macros, basically your, your fat, carbs and protein. You may not have ever 
been aware of the portions that you are consuming during the day. So that's so fascinating that happened with you. Yeah, it was it was really interesting, um, especially around just the subconscious, oh, I'm just going to grab this from the fridge and just quickly munch on that while I ran out the door and this and that. And all those small things really add up. But then, so I was completely unaware of those, but then I wasn't eating enough in my meals. And since I don't count calories at the moment, I'm now aware and I can kind of look at my day from doing it for eight weeks. You get a fair idea of what your plate should look like. Um, But I've never felt like I've had so much food freedom. I've never felt so relaxed going out and I now will order a pizza and eat the entire thing. And I now will go out and eat bread. I remember I had in my head that, oh gosh, when I was 17, you could only eat bread once a week. I don't even know where I learned that. Or like I was saying earlier, half a banana in a smoothie. What are you meant to do with the other half? I don't want to freeze it. (laughs) It's just stupid things that I learned. And then through following those numbers, it kind of gave me that freedom that I should always should have had to eat to fuel my body. And I think that's where for a lot of people that um, potentially have gone through phases of seriously under eating just by eyeballing their plate or intuitively eating to go, okay, I'm actually going to put this in properly and track and wow, I'm really under eating, really under eating. So it's interesting in that space. Um, I also think for people that uh, depends on your generation because we go through fads and phases. There's a whole generation of people or women that are petrified of fats, petrified of oils, nuts, avocado, all those things. And they're what's most, they are most responsible for your hormones and your hormone balance. And then we're also seeing in that similar sort of age bracket, those that are suffering with thyroid issues, they kind of go hand in hand. So again, using a tool such as calorie counting to make sure you're getting in enough fats could potentially be the difference between you constantly being unwell and having thyroid issues and not. Yeah. I think it's just really important just to be yeah, more aware about what it is that we're consuming. So I think that's it's so cool that that happened with you. Now, I think another part of your journey that you have spoken about is your journey with healing your gut, which has been quite an extensive uh, journey from what I've um, heard. So tell me a little bit about this because this is sort of this it started quite a long time ago and there's been sort of ups and downs that have gone through this whole thing. So tell me a little bit about how you've been able to heal your gut because I think this as well, gut issues are so common and so many people experience different, I guess, aspects of it. So yeah, share a little bit more about what happened with you. My favourite topic, gut health. (laughs) (laughs) So like I'd say most teenage girls, I had really horrific bloating. I had low iron. I had weird intolerances that would pop up. Um, you know, just, just the typical, the typical checklist of I'm a, I'm a teenage girl. I'd been on the pill for four months that, wow, did not suit me, came off that. And my body was kind of in all sorts at this time. I'd also been to Bali and little did I know, found out three years later that I'd picked up a parasite. Oh, yes. Yuck. I also <laughs> was, um, this was probably the end of grade 11. So I was halfway through my PT course. I was also put a lot of pressure on myself and I was very much an um, overachiever in the sense I really wanted to always be doing the best and put a lot of pressure on myself. And I also at this time <laughs> developed anaphylaxis, which is where you stop breathing, your throat closes over. And that they put down to stress. It wasn't, I wasn't allergic. Most people get it to eating nuts. Um, I remember walking up a flight of stairs at school one day 
And my whole face blew up, my throat closed over, rushed to hospital, hit with EpiPens. And I had two of those episodes within a week. So I got hit with adrenaline twice. And so between the parasites, a bit of hormonal stuff from the pill, and then being hit with two huge doses of adrenaline, my gut health was just completely shot. Um, But I kind of just persevered and put up with it. And you go to a doctor and they say, oh, you've got IBS. Okay, great. And what next? Which is I think where most people get to. They go, okay, I've got these symptoms. I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to go see my GP and I get diagnosed with IBS and now join the club. We're in the IBS crew. Um, And I kind of put up with it and it would go through phases where it would get better and then get worse and then get better and then get worse. I could never really pin it on anything. And this was kind of at the time when gut health and eating sauerkraut and kombucha and that was all kind of coming about. And I healed it a little bit just by being a bit aware. I also at this time figured out um, I had a specialist tell me that I couldn't eat dairy and I was always on and off gluten. So at that point, I just fully ruled it out altogether. And I also found out that sugar was caused a lot of inflammation in your body. So I cut out processed sugar. This resolved a lot of issues, to be fair, but it wasn't until I started with my nutritionist last year that I was just talking about when I started going through my calories and I spoke to her and I said, look, my biggest issue is that I'm iron deficient. I always have been for as long as I can remember. I said, it gets to the point where I need at least two naps a day. And I thought that was normal. Again, I thought, oh, I'm in the industry. You wake up early. You have a nap. That's fine. And I didn't realize, I think I just normalized that feeling because I'd been iron deficient since I was 15, 16 and fast forward seven, eight years, I'm still feeling horrible, but it just became how I felt. And she said, well, that's not normal. Obviously, do you eat red meat and foods that are rich in iron? And I said, well, yeah, I do. I love red meat. I eat a lot of food that's high in iron. I'm very conscious of it. But no matter what I do, I can't get my iron levels up. Anyway, ran a bunch of tests and she said, look, your gut health is just completely shot. Um, We're going to do a whole gut healing protocol, but it's pretty intense. Are you in? And me being me, I was like, I am all in. I am 50% in. If you're telling me that you're going to fix my gut health, I'm going to have iron um, stores in my body and I'm not going to get bloated after having a cup of tea, then, you know, 100% tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. And so I did a three-month gut healing protocol. It was pretty full-on. The first two weeks, I only had these smoothies that were really high in fats, and it pretty much followed an elimination diet. And I don't want to go into it too specifically because, again, I don't want – this is what worked for me. I don't want to get people hung up on, okay, well, I heard on a podcast she had this smoothie, so I'm going to have it. But ultimately, I drank these smoothies for two weeks and had a lot of bone broth daily. And people hear me harp on about bone broth now, and I'll get into that in a second. But I had the bone broth and then as a process of elimination, started incorporating one food at a time, seeing if my body reacted to it, making notes of it. Three months later, a lot of tests later, I figured out that I had SIBO, um, which is a small intestine bacterial overgrowth and was really, really intolerant to foods that contain fructose, which is a type of sugar present in some carbohydrates. And that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm still kind of navigating my way through reintroducing foods with fructose because it's not bad for you. They're in foods like apples and pears and broccoli, foods that are great for your body. But at some point in time, my body has had this overgrowth of bacteria, which doesn't allow me to eat it comfortably and I get bloated. Um, But it was crazy. The biggest thing I saw, and I thought to myself, my iron's not going to go up. I've seen that many specialists. I've done this and that. I'm happy for my bloating to go down, but 
I'm just that person that suffers with low iron. I got my blood tests done. I got my, sorry, I got my bloods done maybe not even the whole three months into the protocol, maybe two months after, and my iron levels had tripled. Wow. Which for Amazing. any girl that's iron deficient knows I felt like a new person. Honestly, I felt yeah. I was getting out of bed. I was bounding out of bed in the morning. I remember my alarm used to go off and I would feel like I was going to vomit because I was so tired. And I would get up because I love my work and I would love my clients, but I genuinely would wake up every morning, dark circles under my eyes, feeling physically unwell. Some nights I'd walk home from work and I'd call my mum just in tears and she's like, what's wrong? What happened? I was like, I'm just tired. I've had the best day. Everything's gone well. I'm just so tired. And so for my iron levels to be triple and I'm not even at the end of the whole gut healing journey was... I actually called my nutritionist and cried on the phone because I just thought uh, this has been amazing, absolutely amazing. amazing. So that's kind of where I'm at now and I still have my bone broth daily and it has completely transformed my day-to-day life, which sounds really dramatic to say, but from going from feeling so sick every day to now feeling like I could go for a 10K run whenever has been game-changing. That's incredible. It's so amazing to hear that when you do start to look at those things that you can actually transform Mm. how you feel with the way that you eat. So tell us for people listening, because maybe people listening are are, are sort of wondering, okay, what's the deal with this bone broth stuff? I've I've heard about it. Um, Yes, I know it's kind of good for you, but I don't really, it'd be great for you to go into why bone broth is so beneficial and, and how it's really helped you. For sure. Okay. So for bone broth, for people listening, if they've got no idea what it is, it is, it just sounds so disgusting, but it is <laughs> it's liquid gold. So it is pretty much boiled meats, uh, bones, like jointy bits of meat. So either the most common ones are chicken or beef, and it is boiled chicken feet and necks because they're the really jointy parts. And that's where all the collagen and um, gelatin sits in the animal. And you can have beef knuckles and different kinds of bones and you pretty much put them in a pot with filtered water and it's ideal. I would only recommend to have organic bones if you're making yourself. And most uh, bought bone broths, store-bought bone broths are organic. Um, And you boil them with water and you can also do celery and carrot and some onion to give it some flavour. And you let it boil for about, or bring it to the boil and let it simmer for about, 12 to 15 hours, so for quite some time, and then you drain it and you discard the bones, any animal bits, any bits of the vegetables. You literally just left with the liquid. And what this is rich in is the collagen and gelatin that comes out of the jointy and bony parts of the animal. This is really, really, really great for your gut lining. So when you have, what when I refer to as a damaged gut is something, if you imagine coral and it's beautiful and pink and kind of floats in the water and it moves with the current, it's full of life and there's heaps of fish around, that would be what a healthy gut would look like in a perfect world. Um, and I like to think of what my gut was as like a desert. It was, it was blank. It was, it was that rotten gray coral that was snapping when the water came through. It wasn't absorbing anything. So that's, you know, your beautiful, pretty gut lining and then your really damaged gut lining. And imagining this bone broth, so how I have it is I'll make myself a big pot and store it in jars and leave some in the freezer and some in the fridge and it lasts 
four days in the fridge, just like any other meat product would. And I heat it up on the stove every morning and have a warm cup of bone broth. And it kind of tastes like chicken noodle soup, like the brothy part. It's really delicious. And when you drink it, imagine it going through that coral that's once dead and, you know, dry and really just giving it life again because that gelatin and collagen that's coming into it is really, really, really great for that gut health and coming in and feeding all the good bacteria and bringing it to life again. It's super healing. Yeah. And I think it's it's, it's really good to know because I think definitely people have heard about it and I'm sure you might have heard about it, but it's it's so good to hear what it's done for you and how it's really transformed your health as well. Yeah. So that's so cool. And so when that gut lining is feeling, you know, pink and full again, when you eat foods, so that was the issue when I was eating, I was eating plenty of iron, but my gut lining couldn't absorb it. So now that it's healthy and restored and whatever other synonym you want to throw in there, when I do eat that iron, it's readily available. My gut lining can take in the nutrients. It can pull what it needs from it to fuel my body. Yeah. So your, work, your gut is working at its optimal level as it should be. As it as should it, be. Yes. Can we stop normalizing IBS? It's not a cool club. Yes. I don't want to be a part of it. I want to <laughs> tap out. I'm done. <laughs> and the th- I think the funny thing about IBS is like, IBS, you can be diagnosed with IBS, but there is no, there's no cure for it. No one, no doctor is going to give you a cure for IBS. It's just like, you've got IBS. So, and that's, that's pretty much it. Seriously, <laughs> IBS, IBS stands for irritable bowel syndrome. Thank mm. you. I think I that after a coffee, you know, yeah. like it's, that was another so really true. interesting point. I like 99% of the population was thinking, you know, okay, great coffee. That's a, a morning laxative. I'm, I can now drink coffee and it does absolutely nothing to my gut. Again, we all normalise the fact that when you have a coffee, you need a race to the bathroom. My nutritionist may be very aware that that is not the case and it shouldn't happen. So that's a really another interesting point. I can drink a coffee and it now does literally nothing to my stomach because, again, my gut is in a much better place. So IBS yeah. isn't normal. It's, it's common, but it shouldn't be normal. Yeah, it's been normalised, but it's actually not a our, our gut and our health should not be operating that no, way. It's absolutely. basically saying that something's not right with you with your whole system. Mm-hmm. So, mm. now the other thing I know that you probably get asked this a lot because I think it's one of the things that people really love to know about trainers is what does your training routine look like personally? So, how many days a week do you train? And what type of training do you do currently? Because I know, as we just said before, it does often fluctuate and depending on where we're at in our lives. But at the moment, what are you currently doing? Oh, I love this question. I love it. <laughs> um, I will forever and always prioritize my strength training. So I see my, I actually see a personal training myself, which a lot of people find interesting, but I'm tired by the end of the day. I need someone to tell me what I want to do. When I leave the gym in the morning, I can't wait to go see someone else. And for 45 minutes to an hour, they just tell me what I have to do. So I see my trainer, Joe Agresta, the own Science of Fitness in Brisbane. I see him twice a week and we focus on strength work purely. We might do a little bit of cardio hit work at the end just to make me sweat a lot more and get my heart rate up. But we focus on all my big compound movements. So your squats, deadlifts, chin-ups, um, chest press, the whole works. Weights are super important. Um, again, we're not striving for one RMs here. We're just looking for, um, to keep me pretty much injury free and really stable through all my joints. So I do that twice a week and that's usually Mondays and Wednesdays. 
And then I will go to Strong in West End. So that's Rams. Love Strong. Yes. Yeah, of course. Rams um, <laughs> franchise, which I absolutely love. So for those that are listening that don't know, Strong is a fusion between rowing on an ergo and reformer Pilates. So you get the best of both worlds in terms of the cardio, but then also the toning and strengthening through the Pilates. Um, so I try and do that twice, once or twice a week, depending again on my schedule. And then I walk. I'm a big walker. I walk every day. Um, I was injured, quite injured at the end of last year. So I learned to love to walk. And now it's something that's stuck. So I probably walk six to 10K a day, which again, I don't want to put in someone's head that that's what you have to do. That's just what I like to do. And it's a good time for me to get back through emails and phone calls. I use that as kind of my wind down time. And then uh, I also go to a gym in Brisbane called Atora, which is a functional fitness space as well. And I kind of alternate that with strong. So if I can't get to strong, but I can get to Atora, I do that. I think it's tricky as a trainer to try. I try and get to classes because I do really enjoy them, but often they're being run at the same time that we coach. So for me, I do my clients and then I figure out my training around them and just try and get to what I can around that. But non-negotiable, two strength sessions a week and then I try and get to one to two strong sessions and then I will walk every day. And for me, four sessions is my sweet spot. Yeah, nice. I like that. Rams is going to love this because Rams was on the show earlier. (laughs) So he's going to love that for sure. Um, So what about your nutritional approach at the moment? Obviously, you've got your gut health to incorporate into that. But in terms, but outside of the gut stuff, do you are you doing something specific at the moment? So, what does a typical day of eating look like for you? Oh, okay, I love this question. I ask my clients this every day. My, they always they go, "Oh, when are you going to ask us what we ate today?" So <laughs> I will start my morning, and I'll have a cup of bone broth that I've made myself. Um, that is non-negotiable and I'm have now, I used to have coffee straight up and now I have a bone broth straight up. Again, huge change in my gut health. So I have a bone broth and then I will go, it's tricky for me because I then go to clients straight away. Whereas most people would have breakfast at home before they go to work. So I'll have my bone broth and then I'll go get a coffee, usually have a large long black and then I'll work my mornings. Um, and I'll have a banana as well because it's, for me and for most women I train, it's not good to not eat for long periods of time. So I have my bone broth, my coffee, a banana, and then I come home and I'll make um, pate on toast. Anyone that follows my Instagram knows it. <laughs> pate is like my next best thing after bone broth. Um, so that's pretty much cooked chicken liver. I sound absolutely revolting, but it is so good. And again, really high in iron and healing for my gut. So I'll have that on gluten-free toast. And then lunch is usually... Um, either chicken or tuna in a big salad with some leftover roast veggies or rice. Um, Usually this is the meal that has to just be on the go. It has to be quick. It has to be ready to go because the day kind of just goes before you know it. And then I'll have another piece of fruit and some nuts in the afternoon. And then dinner is some sort of protein, whether that's steak, fish, chicken, pork. I'm not really fussy on that sort of stuff. And then big salad and more roast veggies and then dessert always. I'm a huge dessert girl and I don't believe people when they tell me that they're not. Um, (laughs) That can be, I'm not even going to say one block of chocolate. It's about three or or maybe half a block of the lint 
chocolate. Oh, the lint. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so good. Or so I good. Can coconut yogurt. Coconut yogurt and some frozen berries. And I always have a um, magnesium hot chocolate as well with that. So that's Amazing. a pretty typical day. And then I drink a lot of water. Yes, water is very important. I really like that. It sounds like there's so much variety in your diet, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Now, I think you've spoken about this before as well, is when you're on a shred, there's a different, I guess this is a very specific goal when you're on a shred. And I'm interested to know what your approach is. And for everyone listening, when we talk about shred, we're talking about basically increasing your lean muscle and decreasing your body fat, basically, is what a shred means, generally speaking. And I know you've done it before intentionally. So what is sort of your approach and how have you sort of gone with it? And is that sort of something that you do on the regular in Mm -hmm. terms of you do it once a year or something like that or before summer or that kind of thing? Yeah, I am... Very interesting. So I think one myth I want to break before we get into that is that you cannot, it's it's actually impossible to put on lean muscle mass while shredding. So you kind of have to pick one or the two. You can maintain the muscle mass that you already have while dropping your body fat percentage, or you need to hold your body fat percentage and increase your muscle mass and then come in and shred off so those muscles become more defined. Um, I hold a lot of muscle because... I lift my weights and do it quite consistently. But in terms of shredding, it's not something I have planned throughout the year. I don't say, okay, summer's coming, I need to shred down. Um, I will, and I'm the first to admit, I want to look good and feel good in my bikinis for summer, like everyone else does. And I'm not going to sit here and say I don't. I often check in with my body, see how I'm feeling. I never weigh myself. It's always based off how I fit in my clothes, you know, as a girl, you go, okay, those jeans used to fit. They're feeling a bit tight. Going on. <laughs> um, so I think when it gets to that point, I kind of go, okay, I'm going to shred. And I always, my first point of contact is always getting in touch with my nutritionist and getting my numbers done correctly because a lot of people go, okay, great, I'm just going to eat as little as possible. And that's just not realistic. Um, and it's actually not going to get you to your goal. So I'll always check in with her first and she'll give me my numbers. And then it's just being committed, you know, saying that, okay, if I'm going to actually shred down and I want to, and I'm not saying I'm losing 10 kilos in two weeks. This is shifting a kilo or two over a really healthy time span that isn't going to impact my hormones. Um, and I will sit there and I'll follow my calories. And I find for me personally, I it works better for me if I track my calories and keep my exercise relatively the same, opposed to, because you can obviously go two ways. You can keep eating the exact same amount, and exercise more and create that um, deficit in that way. Or you can keep eating the same amount. Sorry, you can eat less and exercise the same amount. So I find for me personally, if I eat slightly less and keep my exercise the same, uh, that works for me. And yeah, again, I'll just do it throughout the year as I feel that potentially I've I know I put on a lot of weight when I stress and when I go through high stress periods, I tend to want to reach for food more, which is a super normal response in your body. As your cortisol lifts, your body craves more food. So I will maybe put on a couple of kilos and then once that stressful period's over and I know I'm in a state to actually focus on shredding down that little bit more, then I'll take that approach of just tracking my food and... Um, you know, being mindful of my exercise, probably upping my steps. That's the easiest way I find to shred down weight. But I'll just use scales, measure my food and know that when I'm doing it, I'm doing it 110%. 
Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's more checking, with, like you said, checking in with your body to see how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this thing where you schedule it in or anything like that. Yeah. But I think whatever whatever feels good for you guys who are listening um, in terms of, yeah, if you do want to incorporate a shred into your regime throughout yeah. the year or something like that. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that I think is really cool is that you have released your book, The Kitchen Series, which was uh, released earlier this year, which looks so amazing. And also, I think there's so many amazing pictures and recipes and things on Katie's um, Instagram that you can check out. But I'm curious to know what your favorite recipe was or is from The Kitchen Series, because there's so many that you can, one that you can share with us. Oh, that's so tricky. <laughs> I like them all. And I, they, they, it's, the book is very much a, you know, it's all the recipes that I eat every week, but it has to be the chili prawn pasta. I just, mm, it is an absolute yum. crowd pleaser. It is something that you can make for one person or you can make an absolute bulk for a lot. People are always really impressed by it. It's one of those dishes that you whip out. And you're like, Wow how'd you do this? And it's so, (laughs) honestly, you make it, you can make the sauce in the time that it takes to cook the pasta. So it is a 10 minute recipe, which is what I love the most is that it's super quick. You're not sitting there for six hours trying to prepare it, but it's so tasty. It looks impressive. It tastes impressive, but it is clean. It is easily digestible. There's nothing worse than eating a meal and feeling lethargic afterwards and a bit yuck. Um, yeah, and that one that that recipe gets a real workout in our household. So the chili prawn pasta for sure. Chili prawn pasta. So we've got to check that one out in your book, The Kitchen Series. Now, in amongst all the amazing things that you are doing with your business is also your activewear brand, KFit, which is very, very cool. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know what have been the biggest challenges that you've faced in the pursuit of launching KFIT and and amongst your other, I mean, you do so many things, this is the thing, but this is this is one of the amazing things that you do. What have been the biggest challenges that you've faced and how have you overcome them along this journey? I think there's two main challenges that I've faced with launching KFIT. Um, the first one being COVID's impact on shipment and turnaround times and factories and all that world um we were delayed we were, I always say we I don't know who I'm talking about it's just me <laughs> um I was, was delayed it was meant to launch in October November last year and it ended up launching very late Feb early March this year of 2022 2022 and that was again something that was completely out of my control um but that's just what happened. So the delays with that, but also the cost, if you speak to anyone at the moment that's getting anything from overseas is the cost of ship shipment. It is just next level. And it's something you obviously then put into your, you know, your budget, your forecast for and all those sorts of things. But it is, it is really quite hindering when trying to scale and start a small business because it's taking that risk of ordering enough stock to get your shipment prices down but obviously not so much that it completely ruins your cash flow. And for anyone that um, works in a business that relies super, well, any business that relies on cash flow, you understand how important that is. And that's what gives your business oxygen. So just finding that real sweet spot between ordering enough stock so your cost of shipment is down and you can get stock for everyone and you're not selling out on pieces, but also not so much that you, 
you know, completely ruin your entire cash flow. So that's been a really uh, challenging part of KFIT. And that's something that opposed to the other businesses that I've had, the kitchen series and my personal training, I've never had to outlay um, money to then see it come back in. Potentially little bits at a time or when I um, used to travel to my client's houses and I had to buy all my equipment, you know, you outlay a bit of money, but it's equipment, it's not going anywhere, you have it, and it's not that expensive opposed to, okay, I'm going to have to spend X before you see a return. Um, so just getting my head around that concept and starting to operate and work in a different, um, yeah, headspace with all of that has been probably the most challenging, but also, you know, I've, I've enjoyed that process and really learning about that space. Um, and then the other thing, which is kind of a common theme, I guess, across a few of my businesses is just being in it alone. Um, as much as all the wins are all on you and that's all your work and that's amazing and all the losses are all on you and there's no one else to put <laughs> finger on, sometimes you want to share those wins. And, of course, you've got your close family and friends, but when you're doing it on your own, it's it's just you. And you go to bed at night and you, and I say to myself, like, really proud of you, like, good job, high five. <laughs> but, it's, yeah, it can be really lonely and especially during COVID when things were a bit more segregated and a bit more isolated. And fortunately in Queensland we did not have it nearly as bad as the other states, but it's still, yeah, that whole period and then launching this on your own can be a little bit lonely, I would say. It's one of the most challenging things. Yeah, I think that's a really good point to bring up. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs who are, I guess, solopreneurs really mm-hmm. is what you would call um, uh-huh. who, who operate a solopreneur, who, who work alone really or, or don't really have a big team underneath them is that, yeah, it can be isolating. I, def- mm-hmm. I definitely resonate with that actually. Yeah, is do, that, you, do you know what I mean? I know that probably sounds really yeah. silly but. No, it's not at all because I think as well, you're in your business, you're working on your business, for your business and if you, if you work for another company, for example, you might have a team where you are around other people working in the business. Whereas if you're the owner of your business and you're really the one of the few people working, even if you do have a few people working mm. with you, I think that's why it's really important to connect with other entrepreneurs 100%. and solopreneurs because you understand the challenges that each other face. Even though you're not working on the same business, it's essentially the same kind of operations, right? But yeah. you don't really have anyone to speak to about it because it's really you that's managing everything. Yes. And yeah, so I totally resonate with that. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because it is really great when you achieve something and you can sit there and say, I did that. You know, it wasn't all these other people and then my name's on the front of it. Like it was all me, but also that you want to celebrate with people and be like, look what we all achieved. So I think, again, bittersweet and there's pros and cons to it all. And everyone I speak to that have staff talk about how tricky that component of their business is. And they go, oh, you're so lucky you've got a business model that doesn't require staff. And I don't know, there's pros and cons about it all, but I think that is something that can be really challenging. You wear a lot of hats in the day, that's for sure. And my favorite question that I um, actually speak to my trainer about whenever I see him, he says, okay, so who are you today? What are you doing today? today, (laughs) I'm a trainer and I'm a content creator and I'm an editor. But then, you know, come midday, I'm a therapist for all my clients. And then I'm a (laughs) chef in the afternoon as I develop more recipes. So you would know, you do it, you become 10 different people in one day and it is fun and it keeps things exciting, but um, it can also be really lonely. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think, yeah, there's probably people listening as well who are entrepreneurs and thinking to themselves, yeah, I I totally feel Mm -hmm. that as well. Now, one of the things that I do ask all my guests is, what is your biggest rejection or failure that you've faced and what did you learn from it? Oh, it's so clear. Okay. So when I first started KFIT, like I said um, earlier, I was in a park and I thought to myself, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the F45 of the park. You know, this is great. I've got no overheads. I'm going to run all these sessions. I'm going to have all these people show up and I'm going to, you know, this is going to be like, what are people talking about? This is easy. This is child's play. I was a child and I think they would blame me because I would show up in the rain to my group sessions and it would be literally raining and I would I used to drive a ute with all my equipment in the back and I would unpack an entire session that I thought was just oh, the best session, creme de la creme. Unpack this entire session, so ready to go, speakers on, not a single person would show up. And... At first, you're like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, pack it up. No one's seen you. No one's seen you unpack. No one's seen that no one showed up because it's 5.30 in the morning and everyone's asleep. (laughs) And that was okay for the first few times it happened. And then, you know, Saturdays were always busier and I got a few people to those, but it was more so the midweek ones. And after a while, it really started to take a toll in the sense I was just starting to question myself, like, have you made the right decision, you know, you start to have all those internal thoughts thinking, what am I doing? This isn't right. And I remember one of my brothers used to call me all the time and say, oh, you know, how was your session? How many people did you get there? Who turned up? And I actually started ignoring his calls because I would speak to him later in the day, but I knew he was calling to ask me how many people had showed up. And I I did be honest with myself. I was like, no one's showing up. People, no matter how good you think that these sessions are that you've planned or that you've set them up, people don't care. People don't want to come. They don't want to be trained by you. And I remember having big, big regrets thinking, what have I done? I, at that point, was doing a few one-on-one sessions, maybe three or four a week, really nothing. And I was thinking that I was going to be this group trainer because that's what I was at my first job. I was a group. I took classes and I had a few clients. Um, and I, I took a lot of time to break it all down and figure out what I wanted to do. And I thought, okay, I actually enrolled myself at university because I thought this isn't, this isn't working. Um, I've completely over my, you know, in over my head here. And I then started to train a bit more one-on-one clients because I I started canning the midweek sessions and I tried to pick up a few one-on-one clients. And I realized that that was where, you know, my passion in the fitness industry really um, was. I really enjoyed that one-on-one time. I enjoyed being able to get on those deeper conversations with people and figure out why, you know, they reacted the way they did and why they ate the way they did and why they did everything the way they did and ultimately led them to training with me. And I doubled down on that and that seemed to work and that's what I really love. So it all, you know, works out the um, best. But, yeah, my biggest failure was turning up week in, week out, having no one show up, completely questioning myself. And I've always been someone that's backed myself, but I really started to lose confidence. And I just thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing? And I'm sure for someone listening, they're going, yeah, but you're just 17. But I think it, oh, I was 18 actually, but I was super impressionable. And I think at that point, it really could have broken me to f- not continue in the fitness industry. I 
went to a week of uni and thought, I am not doing this. This is way too much. <laughs> but I, the intention was there that I was going to move out of the fitness industry. And now looking back on that and thinking that potentially I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, it's completely wild. But yeah, it was, I failed and I failed hard. And I think I put myself out there publicly about it, talking about all these group sessions, but you know, then you've got a lot of people asking, oh, what happened to your group sessions? And why aren't you doing that? And it was really letting go of my ego and actually just leveling with people and saying it just didn't work. But that's okay. I've got another plan. But, yeah, that didn't work and people weren't really that interested. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's just isolated to you being young either. I think that, you know, we're all, we all have those fears of, it doesn't matter what age you are, of, of trying something mm-hmm. and it failing, right? But yeah. what has come out of it is basically it's, kind of directed you into this this path where you train one-on-one and that's where you sort of feel that your passion is so it's turned out to be a really great experience yeah, in a way for sure. overall which is really cool and my last question for you my final question for you is if you had an overarching life philosophy or mantra that you try to live your life by what would that be I learned this one from my mom and she said the worst they can say is no so if you don't ask you're not gonna know and it was just in every situation it's applicable. You know, if you don't ask and if you don't put yourself in front of the right people and you don't ask them for an opportunity or you don't ask them for a go, you're never going to know. But if you do ask and they say no, you're going to be in the exact same position you're in right now, but at least you know where you stand. The worst, yeah. the worst thought, and most people know, what if? What if that did happen? What if I did ask that question? What if everything actually did work out or I, I did get that job? you're only going to find out if you ask and the worst they're going to say is no. And no is not even that bad because you're going to be in the exact same position you're in right now. So I think, yeah, that one stuck with me. And more often than not, people are really happy to help you or really happy to say yes. Mm. Of course you're going to hear no, but I think you'd be surprised when you start asking and just completely backing yourself what happens and what doors open for you. Yeah, I love that so much and, and you're so right. If you don't ask, it's already a no, so you might as well ask exactly. because then there's a chance there's a yes, right? Exactly. So yeah. I really, really like that one and every time I'm facing, you know, that awkward moment where you think, I'm going to ask and no, I'm not. Okay, I'm going to ask. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you just have to say it and go for it. And as soon as yeah. you get there, that, like that lump in your throat, you actually ask. Like I said, even if it's no, at least you now know. But more often than not, I've found in situations that it's turned out to be a yes and some of the biggest changing points in my career. Yeah, so amazing. I really love that. So make sure you take that advice, guys. Just ask. Just give it a go, right? (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Katie. It's been such an amazing chat. I feel like we could chat about some stuff for so long because I think we have so much in common in terms of what we do. But I'm... I'm so grateful that we've been able to connect and chat this way. And and of course, I think everyone listening will have picked up so many amazing nuggets of wisdom from our chat. So where can people find you and all your amazing work? Perfect. Well, thank you first of all for having me. I had such a great time. Um, In terms of my Instagram, I'm at Katie M Martin underscore. And then KFIT, my activewear company is at KFIT underscore AUS. And the website for that is www.kfit.com.au. But all my recipes and um, cooking comes through my personal Instagram as well. So 
add my personal one for my cooking and then K-Food obviously for the active wear. Yeah, so amazing. So we're going to drop all of those links and details in the show notes for you guys. So make sure you check out all of the amazing stuff that Katie is doing because she has so many awesome recipes on her Instagram and also the kitchen series you can get from the website too. So we'll pop that up as well. Tell us what you loved and learnt from this episode by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and make sure you screenshot this episode, tag us and share it to your socials. Thank you again, Katie, for joining me and thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Rach Active Podcast.